Welcome back. Welcome in to another episode of the Evolution Podcast, episode number 168 with Jason Thompson. I'm your host, Jeff Bayless. You can follow me on Instagram at Jeff Bayless underscore. And as always, guys, it really, really, really does help uh, if you go over to iTunes and give me a, uh, a review and uh, you know five star rating that stuff. Only takes a few seconds, but it really does help the show kind of get out and get the message out to the people that uh, hopefully this resonates with. So uh, met Jason through a mutual friend, uh, kind of uh, near misses where we've been in the same room together, but hadn't actually met. Right. And uh, the community and the nature of the work that we do is pretty, pretty close. So we have a lot of mutual friends. But uh, I reached out to Jason because I think his story is in line with the thread of what we're trying to do here on the evolution. You know, it's uh, <clears throat> I'm going to title this one, the invisible fight. And the reason is because I think, you know, as we started towards the end of the episode, talking about the perception or being perceptive of, you know, things that people might be struggling through. And, you know, it's kind of all around us. And yet a lot of us turn a blind eye to it. So uh, much gratitude, super appreciative of uh, Jason, not only taking the time, but just opening up and sharing his story that, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of courage. It really does take courage, a different kind of courage. You know, we think of courage, we think of Spartans running into battle. But when I think of courage, I think of virtues and value systems and things that uh, Jason shared really are, um, you know, something we should all strive to be so courageous. And uh, just the journey he's been on and where his headspace is at now uh, is really quite the remarkable story. So, if you get anything out of the show, I'd appreciate it if you'd hook somebody up. Maybe you know somebody that's going through a challenging time. Uh, you know, sometimes it, it really doesn't take a whole lot. I think I told this story on this show, uh, but, you know, when, when I was kind of struggling, I remember somebody coming to the quarter deck and just giving me a Jolly Rancher and saying, hang in there. So, uh, you know, use this episode as a Jolly Rancher, you know, just kind of maybe uh, send it to somebody that, uh, you know, can benefit from knowing that they're not alone in whatever their struggle is. And if they need anything that they can not only reach out to professional help, but also just people that have been there like me and Jason. So, all right, guys, on to the show. All right, Jason. Hey, man. Uh, First of all, I just want to start off with saying thanks. I know this was kind of short notice and uh, I appreciate you jumping on the mic with me. Uh, I've heard your story on Don't Give Up the Ship podcast. So there's a plug for our uh, Mass Chief buddy uh, who chooses to remain nameless, uh, at least in the public eye. Uh, but I heard your story on there a while back. I mean, shoot, it was probably a year or two ago. Uh, and I thought, man, like, you know, what a story of resilience. What a cool dude. Also well-spoken and highly intelligent. Like you're a sharp dude. Uh, so uh just wanted to, as we come in, I just wanted an attention of gratitude towards your, you know, effort for sharing your story and, and coming on here uh, and chopping it up with actually no notice. Uh, I didn't send you over a list of questions or anything like that. I just say, hey, man, can we talk about life? So that says a lot about your character, man. So uh, just starting off, just want to say I appreciate you, man. Oh, thanks for having me on. Um, I love talking about this sort of stuff. Um, it's a it's therapy in a process, but it's also uh, good to get the awareness up and also, you know, just survival tips, you know, how to get through it. You know, it's significant and it's an important topic in the modern era. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you can't get away from these like buzzwords right now. You know, a lot of 
you know, you're in the military, so a lot of suicidal ideation there. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of pressure in that work environment, uh, along with, you know, the leadership that's trying to do something about it, right? Like trying to change the culture or maybe the stigma around mental health and getting help that you need. Uh, and, and I think, I think for the most part, it, it's training in the right direction, but some of these, some of these buzzwords like resiliency and, you know, mental health awareness and, uh, suicidal ideations, you know, all of these, all of these words that we're hearing coming up, like we just need to keep, you know, beating on that drum until, you know, the numbers go down. Right. I couldn't agree more. Um, this is not, you know, a football game where at the end we're victorious and we spike the ball and it's, you know, it's great. Um, this is an ongoing fight. There's no winning this. We're never going to get the number of suicides down to zero. It's just not real. Um, but what we can do is increase the awareness, make it clear that there's no stigma anymore. Um, the, if the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps can openly say that he has PTSD and then he goes to therapy, I mean, what are we talking about? Like, yeah. it's the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. Any short list of baddest dudes on the planet's got to include him. You know? <laughs> yeah, right after Mattis, um, but I'm with you. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you um, know, it's interesting. I, As the command safety officer, we had to do the whole winter safety stand down. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, that said, I, I, I busted out something interesting um, about causation and correlation. So during World War I, the British press ran a news story that uh, head injuries amongst British troops were up 600%. Now, objectively, that was in fact true. They were up 600%. But what they left out of the story was some interesting developments. World War I saw a lot of technological advancements, uh, the fighter jet, um, tanks, chemical warfare. Uh, but it also saw the advent of the metal helmet. So. Head injuries were up because previously those were deaths. Mm. And they had deaths were, were through the, you know, the, the, the floor. They were plummeting because those guys who were once going home dead are now dealing with concussions or head injuries of that sort, but TBIs. they're still alive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So we see suicidal ideation numbers going up throughout the Navy. I can't speak for the other services, but we see it going up through the Navy. This is a positive. This is a good thing because this means that we're getting the sailors trust back. And they're coming to us with these problems and they're telling us about these things and making it known so that we can get them the help they need. We can get them the treatment they need and get them back in the fight. A completed suicide, there's nothing we can do. But you tell me you're thinking about it. Now we can be proactive and we can get on, you know, we can get you where you need to be. Yeah, man. Everybody, uh, everybody that's listening to this has probably heard me say this if they tune in weekly, but you know, the no decision you make is final, right? Like we think getting married is final. This is like, Oh my God, this is the one we're going to be married forever. Well, I can tell you I'm on wife number three. And that's, you know, that's, that didn't, that wasn't the case for me. Those were not permanent decisions, right? Like a lot of decisions are reversible. Even a tattoo, you can get removed or covered up. Right. But the, the one decision that is final is suicide, you know, uh, at least as far as it, correlates to your living on this planet. You know, I mean, yeah. we could get woo woo and talk about spirituality in a little bit if you want, sure. but you know, that is such a final decision that, uh, in the heat of the moment, you know, if you just took a pause and maybe made that phone call, um, you know, you, you maybe think twice or at least think a little longer, you know, can you hold on for five minutes before you pull the trigger? Can you just 
just hold on for two more minutes. And then, you know, if you still want to do it after that, like, let's talk it through. And, you know, if you still think that you've got no hope and nothing to live for, you know, and I didn't do my job in convincing you otherwise, you know, I I understand. But a lot of times I think, uh, or at least my case, uh, it was certainly not the, you know, in the moment type of decision. It was definitely, if I could just hold on for five minutes or one day at a time, you know, and that that's what it was. It was for probably the better part of two years, you know, it was just one day at a time, like getting to the next morning and seeing what I mean, that day brought me. Sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's hour to hour, you know, you're like, look, I just, right now, I just got to get something to eat and I got to take a shower, you know, and then we'll reassess how we feel after that. Exactly. Um, so, you know, step-by-step step, day by day, but yeah, you know, it, it, it's a regular fight. And for people who have been through that ringer, um, those thoughts still come back up from time to time, but now we're better equipped to process that emotionally. And yeah. we have an established support system now um, that are familiar with these things and we can reach out for the help that we previously would have been too embarrassed to ask for. Yeah, man. I mean, we jumped right into the media's you know, section of this, uh, this filet mignon here. So, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's great. I love it. Like I, I talk to guys at work, you know, I'm like, dude, if you're coming to talk to me about sports or weather, like I, I, I'm, you know, I'd rather talk about kind of, like I said to you, you know, like we'll talk about life. So I, I love that is what I'm saying. Give me the good stuff. I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't have the time or the patience for, for idle chit chat. I, you know, what's going to make me kill myself? Idle chit chat. I hate it. <laughs> I hate small talk, man. Yeah. 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 It's, I don't care. I don't give a shit about the weather and it's yeah. fun. It's weather. Well, you live in San Diego, so you don't have to, but right. It's, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. We're fine. We're yeah. fine. But uh, so tell us, I mean, for the listener that, you know, hasn't heard you on D guts or doesn't know who you are. Cause they're a friend of yours. That's listening to this, but tell us like what you do now, like what, what's a day look like for you? What are you fired up about? What are you motivated in the moment to, to accomplish? Okay. So I'm the command safety officer at amphibious construction battalion one chief boatswain's mate, all that good stuff. Um, I am gearing up for retirement this July and the battle plan is to um, satiate my musical hobby um, into something much larger. So I'll be opening up um, a live music venue and a record store um, in Detroit, my hometown. And the ultimate goal is to fund um, a nonprofit for after-school music programs for, for Detroit public school kids. That's very cool, um, man. In the aftermath of the economic you know, crash in, in 2008 and nine, plus Detroit declaring bankruptcy, the first thing that got cut from the budget were arts and music programs. You know, because we know that no one's life has ever been dramatically improved by art or music. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, they're never going to cut the basketball or the football budget in Southern Michigan, but arts and music, eh, we can do without that. So right. um, you have a lot of really, really talented young people who've got no place to go. And unfortunately, drugs and the streets accept all applicants. They don't turn Absolutely. So you've got all these people in a city with a huge musical, very rich tradition of music who've got no place to go. And it's no surprise that the higher the education level of a, of a geographic area, the less likely there are to be crimes committed there. Um, people with master's degrees and PhDs aren't, aren't you know, ripping and running. They're not performing carjackings. They're not selling drugs. Um, they are ripping us off on Wall Street, but that's a different story altogether. <laughs> yeah. Or if they get into government, they're ripping us off with taxes. But <laughs> Right. That, that's professional organized crime. That's government sector. <laughs> organized crime. Yeah. So 
I want to provide a safe place for people of a like mind to come together um, in a live music venue with a lot of space, create a safe space for them to hang out, collaborate, exchange ideas, and learn. Um, fortunately for me, the, uh, the, the, the city of Detroit, Wayne County, the state of Michigan, and the federal government um, are going to be very helpful in this process, especially with regards to the nonprofit from a former military member. Um, so that's going to be great as well. So that's, that's my overall goal. Um, you know, there'll be hiccups along the way, but I want to, uh, I want to give back and create that passion that, that flows through certain people. And I want to kind of fan those flames for those small kids, um, who've got nowhere else to go, but have a ton of talent. Dude, I, I totally relate with that. I got, I got two things that came to mind, like uh, not to make it about me, but I had my, my visit of my kids and uh, they live in Sacramento right now and uh, or thereabouts. And uh, we, I went up there and we went to Old Sac and I went to get a palm reading just for fun. All four of us did, right? By, you know, a psychic, you know, and uh, the very first thing she said was like, whatever you're doing, you're in the wrong business. Like you should be a counsel of some sort. She was like, you need to help people like what you're doing now. And I was like, damn lady, that's pretty spot on. <laughs> Yeah, bing, bing, bing. But, Pseudoscience uh, or is this quite accurate? I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not saying it was 100% true, but I'm just saying I, I relate to that. I think we're probably kindred spirits in that in that regard of just trying to give a little back. And I would say, you know, you can do that in any facet, you know, even if your your career is not in uh, directly uh, in well, like yours, you know, it's it's if you were to write it down on paper, like, what do you do? You know, notionally, it's music, but in a way to help others. Right. So you can yeah. probably do a little bit of that no matter what your W2 says. But uh, <clears throat> absolutely. There's yeah. volunteer programs everywhere. You can get involved in your community anywhere. Or, wherever or this are. project. Right. Like, quite frankly, th this is helping people. Right. So, um, you know, and, and another thing that comes up, you know, uh, I was listening to Schwarzenegger. I think it was on Tim Ferriss. Uh, and he was mm -hmm. talking about. Uh, you know, he he's heavy into after school programs. And the reason he got started in after school or the, or the way he was able to sell it as a Republican, he sold it to the Democrats. Obviously, you know, the government should help the people. Right. And that's a Democratic uh, approach. And then the he sold it to the Republicans because he said, listen, we're spending more money incarcerating these people and, you know, trying to rehabilitate these people. But if we just had somebody with them, you know, when they're younger, that's a positive role model for a few extra hours each day. He was showing them fiscally how, not physically, but fiscally, right? How it actually saves the government money to give kids something to do after school other than, yeah. you know, go do drugs and like you said, carjackings and things of that nature. So, do you know what it costs to incarcerate a, a person in Rikers Island for one Let year? Know. Let me know. $78,000. Do you know how much it costs to send somebody to Harvard for a year? $76,000. You save two grand. But then again, you know, you get what you invest in. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, we lead the nation. We live, we lead the, or not the nation, we lead the civilized world in incarcerated citizens per capita. You yeah. know, we get what we invest in, you know, sure. but the way Schwarzenegger approached it, that's, I mean, that's a perfect sell. That's a yeah. perfect sell. Just look at the numbers, man. The budget, you know, we can do better by getting these kids you know, places to hang out after school than, you know, worrying about them when they turn 19 and they have to go into the big system. You know, and it's funny when you have kids, you know, you, I don't know, when, when I was younger, I, I'm certainly not a, a direct knock on my parents, but, you know, I had a lot of time to do whatever Jeff wanted to do. You know what I mean? And a lot of what Jeff wanted to do was not healthy. 
<laughs> you know, it was not good. And I won't, you know, incriminate myself here, but you know, there were a lot of things that I'm sure my high school and middle school buddies or hell, even elementary school, you know, they would tell you some stories and, you know, it's, it, I'm very lucky to be where I'm at, but uh, you know, a lot of people aren't as lucky, right? The scrapes, the scrapes are actually not scrapes. They become, you know, death sentences or life sentences. Truly. I was talking to my daughter yesterday um, and she had made some comments um, that made me raise my eyebrow, not in a negative sense. My daughter's incredibly emotionally intelligent. She's smarter emotionally at 16 than I was at 26. Um, but they also have to be, especially teenage girls. Um, and so we were talking about social media and as it relates to the, the high school experience, specifically high school. Mm -hmm. Think of all the mistakes you made, all the embarrassing moments that you had from eighth grade to 12th. And they right? were not put on social media. They were not recorded and videoed and put on TikTok. And, exactly. Mm -hmm. And where there's a permanent record of every mistake you've ever made, embarrassing as it might have been, whether it was, you know, with fledgling sexuality or illegal substances, or maybe you were drinking something that you shouldn't have been drinking, or, or maybe you were, you know, exploring your sexuality, whatever, that's all lost to time now, and it sticks in people's memories, and that's fine. But here in the modern era, in the era of pervasive media scrutiny and social media existence, every mistake you've ever made can be relived whenever, because the internet does, doesn't forget. And it doesn't turn off, right? If you're at school from 7.30 to 2.30 or whatever your school hours, mostly when you go home, you're in a safe place, right? You close the door, even if you're a hobbit and you decide you don't want to have friends and you're just into, you know, Pokemon or whatever your thing is, right? You know, you can, there is a way to escape into, or there was, and now there's, there's really no escape. You know, the, the online, the internet does not turn off. Um, no. So it's, it's harder for our kids. You're right. My daughter just dealt with a little something like that um, online situation. Um, and so I, I've, I've experienced it firsthand. I'm sure a lot of the parents that are going to listen to this have as well. So spot on, man. Um, it's, and it, it, it freaks me out a little bit, too, because high school is already difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got spots on your face. Your hormones are out of control. You've got. You know, if you play a sport or you're in an activity on top of your studies, on top of not understanding your, what your parents want of you or trying to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life, you also have to worry about stupid stuff showing up on the Internet about, you know, who you did or didn't kiss or have sex with or it's, it's just it's already difficult. Yeah. And we just compound it tenfold with the advent of social media. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could get into the argument, too, of like. There are some pluses as well. You know, social media has connected us in a way that, uh, I mean, this is obviously not social media, but we wouldn't be able to do this in our high school age where, you know, two guys that, you know, just met on the internet, even sure. though we have a lot, a lot of mutual friends, we can sit down and become friends, have a great conversation and, you know, put it out for people for a pod, you know, via Zoom, record it, put it on a podcast and, and do something good with, uh, you know, like I will certainly put this on social media for others to grab, you know what Tell I mean? So well, I mean, Spider-Man, baby, with great power comes great responsibility. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I like that analogy. That's good. You um, got to be good with it. All right, cool. So uh, let's uh, let's kind of back up to probably you know the reason. Well, not the reason. There were there were probably several reasons, but the, probably the biggest reason I I considered or thought about you, or that you circled back into my 
I think you were on deployment when I reached out to you the first time. And I, I think that's why we didn't, we didn't connect when you were on. Right, yeah. I'm pretty sure I reached out right after that. Cause I was like, man, what a story of resilience. And I think a lot of people, you know, we started with suicidal ideation, just unintentionally, we have no note cards here. We're going by, but you know, the suicidal ideation thing was, was, was probably a good jumping off part to talk about mental health. Uh, and yep. you can, you have a story of resilience, much like mine. I mean, it's different, but the same, you know, um, sure. similar, similar thread. And so, you know, I guess I'd love to kind of, you know, get your thoughts, uh, your lessons learned. I mean, I'll just let you riff, man. Um, you know, just kind of tell us, tell us, uh, the history, how you got there and, oh, wow. um, and, how, and how you recovered, you know, <clears throat> God, um, well, uh, man, uh, I think I had my first suicidal thought when I was eight. I think that's right. Um, you know, an eight-year-old's supposed to be playing with GI Joes, you know, out in the dirt. Like, and I was honestly thinking about ending my life. That's the first time I had that thought. I, I believe seven or eight, way you too know, young. Do you know what triggered that? I was 10, uh, actually. Yeah. I, I found it in a journal later when I was like 35. Um, oh, yeah. But anyway, well, okay. that's interesting that you were journaling as, as young as 10. That's, that's great, man. Um, so uh, grew up with a very abusive mom and stepfather. Um, it was just par for the course in my house. Um, I was going to get my ass kicked just because the sun was shining or because it wasn't shining or because, you know, it was a Tuesday. Um, so that began, you know, that cycle. Um, and my parents had split for a very, very good reason. Um, to this day, my father is still one of my very best friends, and I can see where that schism took place and why it took place. That was a divorce that had to happen. Um, that said, um, my mother and stepfather were both raised in verbally and physically and sexually abusive households. Mm. Um, and they did not have the strength of character to call it out to get treatment, to address it properly, um, to do any of those things that we would consider a responsible adult response. Right. Um, and so what they wanted to do was uh, highlight the weaknesses they saw in themselves in me and then beat those out of me. So that process takes a very, very long time and it starts with physical and emotional violence. So we started with that process. The first time I tried to kill myself, I was nine. I didn't understand the physics of hanging, thankfully. Um, and so when my mother found me, I was uh, in my closet. Um, the clothing rod had snapped. Um, I had a belt around my neck and I was covered with a pile of clothes. And my mother's response was to slap the hell out of me. Mm. So you get the idea. Um, mm. And then we just get progressively worse from there. Um, so in the back of my head, it began a, uh, a programming for this idea that I was useless, that I was stupid, and that my life was only going to get worse as I got older. Um, and so at 14, I, I kind of hit a high watermark for the physical abuse cycle. Um, still a pretty traumatizing event when I think about it, but... Um, in my head, I remember thinking to myself, if this is as bad as I'm ever going to feel, and it's only going to get worse from here, why would I stay around? 
you know, like the people yeah, who love a, me the most, the people it's who are a loss of hope. Me, yeah. Right. Like it's a complete loss of hope. But when you, you know, discount the spirituality, the religious mm. factor, um, the fact that it's, you know, it's a permanent choice to a temporary, you know, situation, it just logically makes sense. If it's only going to get worse as I get older and I've already, and I, I can't even stand up, I hurt so bad. Why would I hang around? That doesn't make any sense. So for the longest time, I thought my life was really just a sexually transmitted disease. Um, so suicide was always an option. It just was an option. No matter how bad things got, I found a certain sense of calm knowing that I could kill myself and it would all be okay. I wouldn't it's have also... to worry about it anymore. It's also, you know, as I hear you talking, sorry to interrupt, but I want to ask this question, you know, it, it, do you think maybe it had something to do with, it was like the one thing you can control, right? You know, if, if you can't control anything else, the one thing you could control, it's like, uh, you know, they talk about, uh, people with anorexia, that's, that's what, that, that's why they get that eating disorder because it's something that they can control. Like, and when, when your world is chaos, you know, the one thing you could possibly do is end the chaos. Right. Like yeah, I have, that, that, I have the power to do that. I may not be able to beat up the guy that's, you know, kicking my ass every day, but <laughs> you know, I'll show him, you know, I can, I can control this. I can just, end absolutely. It. Yeah, he wouldn't it, have it, me to kick around. hundred percent right? piece of control, you know, a hundred percent because as a military person, your life is for more or less controlled. It's scheduled. You have a place to be every day and okay. Um, and in that household, I was very much controlled, but yeah, absolutely. Um, the ability um, and or desire to kill myself was entirely about control. I could finally take some of that over again. Mm. So uh, we're gonna flash. Um, I am an instructor at the Defense Information School. It's 2011, 2012, that time frame. It's uh, Pearl Harbor Day, actually. It's December 11th, December 7th, I'm sorry. and. Um, my plan was to jump off the Duke Ellington Bridge, and uh, it was a done deal, man. Like I had, I had written my note. Um, I had a uh, an envelope that I was going to safety pin to my shirt for the for the first responders. You know, here's my apartment key. Here's the numbers that you have to call. Um, here's where I live. All this stuff. Um, I had a DRB that I had to go be a part of. I had really just given up hope. So. Um, I went to this DRB and seven members of the Fort Meade Chiefs Mess. Um, well, it wasn't a DRB, actually. Let me be clear. It was a professional development board that turned into an intervention. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, you're a chief, I'm a chief. Um, years later, I realized that when I walked in there, they already had a plan. And they were going to uncover what was really going on. And they wouldn't let me out of there until I actually finally told them the truth. So after 45 minutes of, of putting up my best possible fight um, with seven people whom I still know, I knew before then, and I know, know them to this day, uh, they, they broke me in half. And I said for the first time out loud to anybody who could do anything, I want to die. And then immediately they sprang into action. How did that feel to say it? Did you feel relieved or embarrassed or what? Oh Which... my God. I, it was like I had taken the first deep breath I'd ever taken. Yeah. Was... I know, man. Yeah. 
It's like the first time I told somebody, and I, I think the first person I told other than my therapist that I got sexually abused when I was a kid, mm-hmm. my, my babysitter's uh, brother sexually abused me when I was like five or six, you know, and I had carried that, you know, around until I was about 35 years old. And uh, not to make the show about me, but it's just, it's relatable, right? Like when I finally told my, my dad, uh, you know, he was the first one, you know, I never said it publicly or anything at the time, but I think he was, or maybe my wife, I can't remember, but I do remember standing in the kitchen and whoever I was on the phone with telling him, and it was just like, ah, like, you know, yeah, it's out there now. Like I've been holding on to this for so long mm-hmm. and now I'd, I'm not going to be embarrassed about it anymore. I'm not going to be ashamed about it anymore. It just feels good for it to be out there. Now, now come at me, bro. Like, what yeah. do you got? You know? Absolutely. You know? And so from there, like I said, they sprang into action. Um, as I was going to the bathroom to get cleaned up, cause I was crying left and right. The barracks chief, Greg Curry, um, he patted me on the shoulder. He says, it's going to be okay, man. We love you. And I turned around and I, just buried my face in his chest and just let go of like a good 20 years worth of tears mm. all at once. Did you um, have any, any family support at this time? Wife, no kids? No, I wasn't married. Um, I did have my daughter. That was also part of the embarrassment of it all. Um, no, I was living with uh, my girlfriend in Washington, DC at the time. Okay. So you did have some moral support, but maybe the trust just wasn't there for you. hundred percent. To- the trust was not there. Um, so, oh, okay. So here's a great example of what not to do. Um, if somebody tells you that they're thinking about ending their lives. So, uh, my girlfriend and I were having some issues. She was out of town a lot for work. Um, and we had plans for a big romantic, you know, evening in, I was going to cook bedroom stuff. You get the idea. Sure. I had just forgotten. She'd been out of town for like two and a half weeks and I just plain forgot. And she was rightfully upset as I did. I totally dropped the ball. Right. So then she confronts me and we're talking about it. She says, what the hell is the problem? And I said, I'm thinking about eating a bullet. And her response is forever etched on my frontal cortex. She said, well, you're just not meeting my expectations. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) what yeah who says that like what let me make it about me some right like ostensibly you love me we're living together like we've exchanged those words we say i love you a lot and what you know i i don't know her and i'm not speaking ill will but behaviors like that sounds a lot like borderline disorder right when when it's really no matter how bad you're hurting you know, it's, it's all about, it, it's really about me. Like you're hurting and because you're hurting now you're hurting me. So right. now it affects me. Yeah. Now it affects me. Oh, so great. I have a boyfriend that's going to kill himself. Like, great. How's that going to look to my family that my boyfriend killed himself? Like, yes, exactly. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't make it about you. This is about Don't me right now. You. So, but that's how mired in um, the depressive cycle I was, was right. that Looking back now, I, we, we plainly see how absolutely unacceptable that is to say to somebody. At the time, I was like, well, maybe she's right. Right. Like, that's how low my measure of self-respect was. And so it just got progressively worse from there. We actually broke up on Thanksgiving Day. Um, and then, you know, by December, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out. 
it's can, been, we, it's uh, been... can we talk about uh, coping mechanisms before we get too far into the story? Was anything developing now, positive or negative, as far as coping mechanisms? Oh, God. Um, no, I, I, I didn't want to cope. I don't think I did. Um, you know, hand in hand with the depression comes, you know, a lot of drinking. Yep. You know, uh, that's fairly common. Um, didn't have any really good outlets. Uh, um, I didn't want them. I, I, I didn't want them. And uh, I remember the night before, uh, December 6th, I went out, I got two slices of pizza and I got a beer. And those were the two greatest slices of pizza I ever had and the best beer I'd ever had in my life. And I went home and went to bed. It was one of the best nights of sleep I ever got because I knew that the next day was over. Right. I wasn't going to have to worry about anything anymore. And that was great. It was a really uplifting feeling. Um, and I slept soundly. And I know that's a little messed up to say. And if you're listening to this, and you're like, wow, how, how could that happen? How could you, know, you get to that point? Let me tell you, man, when, you're, when you've got a gushing head wound, you just want the pain to stop. Yeah. You know, and when you know that it's going to be over, it's like, you know, you know, you're finishing up that marathon. You can see the finish line, literally see the finish line. You know, your endorphins are released and you feel wonderful because there is the end of the voyage. You know, when you haven't been home for, for six months and you finally see your own front door, there it is. So, um, no, I don't think I wanted any coping mechanisms. Now, obviously, I realize that, you know, there are dozens of different ways to cope. Um, I have a social network now that is unafraid to call me on my bullshit when they see me getting a little depressed. Mm -hmm. um, I obviously, you know, I, I, I take my medication. I go to my therapist. Um, I talk with my girlfriend. I talk with my father. Um, I, you know, I, I know for a fact that depression and anxiety and suicidal ideations are very real, but you know, if you're not getting enough rest, the, the appropriate amount of rest, I should say, um, drinking enough water, eating properly, getting some sunshine on your face and taking your medication, then you just aren't giving yourself a fighting chance. Yeah. Um, I talk, I talk a lot about adding to that, you know, moving your body. I'm not saying everybody, you mentioned marathons. I'm not saying everybody needs to be an Ironman triathlete or, you know, even run a 5k, but, you know, going in line with that, uh, getting sunshine on your face, you know, it's somewhat of a moving meditation, right? So, yeah. you know, when you're in a, depressive episode, you know, sometimes just getting outside and going for a short walk will, it'll, it'll interrupt that cycle, right? It'll kind of, it'll kind of snap you into a different thought pattern. There's also, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but EMDR, uh, yeah. which is a rapid eye movement therapy treatment that I would say it worked pretty good for me uh, with PTSD. Uh, you know, certainly therapy, medication, you know, uh, but the, the EMDR, the, the rapid eye movement, part of that when you're outside running or walking or on a bicycle or, you know, maybe even a motorcycle, I don't know, but probably shouldn't operate heavy machinery when you're not, not in a good mental space, but that it, it's a, one, it's a moving meditation and two, you're, uh, whether you want to or not, uh, you're getting that rapid eye movement because you're, you're scanning left to right, looking at your surroundings, you know, maybe you're looking at a bird, a curb, you know, a pothole you know, as you're scanning, you're looking around, you're, you're inadvertently, uh, without effort, getting that rapid eye movement. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, just an aside there. No, uh, it's, it's a very real thing. Um, one of the things that I like to do is, uh, is, I don't know, 
if it's a thing, but it works for me. And it's sound meditation. Excuse mm. me. Um, so I will go to a public place um, where there is a lot of noise. We'll just say sound in, of some capacity. I live not very far away from Balboa Park, which has got a lot of foot traffic every single day. Yeah. So I'll go up there from time to time and I'll just sit on a bench and I'll close my eyes. And in my head, I imagine it like a big, you know, DJ's board, right? And I'll take stock of all the sound that's going on around me. Like, oh, that's the sound of the city bus. Um, those are school kids on a guided tour. That's a couple of kids skateboarding. That's the, you know, the busker over there who's playing, I want to hold your hand. And that's the sound of the guy who's selling elote. And um, I'll just take stock of all this. and. What I found was that, for me at least, I felt detached from the world. And I know that people who experience anxiety often feel that way as well. They feel detached from the world. Yeah. Um, by paying attention to the sound and then choosing to focus on individual sounds through, you know, the spectrum of audio, I find that I become back, I come back into the world. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm observing and I'm listening and I feel a part of the world again, whereas previously I might not, I might've been dislocating or, you know, detached uh, in some capacity. Whereas with that, I, um, I can hear my own self breathing, you know, I can hear sure. the grass rustling underneath my head, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm a part of this world. I'm creating noise as well. And I'm now a part of this symphony of natural sound that's going on around me. Um, that really, really helps me and it also doesn't hurt because i'm lying on the grass and i'm literally grounded right you know so yeah. that really helps too um and you know. breathing exercises that i've been doing for a long time um moving meditation sometimes just going for a walk banging heavy iron whatever yeah um those are all important aspects you know um but honestly i found that eating properly drinking enough water is just so underrated um the proper amount of rest is is huge i know that some people don't sleep at all some people sleep way too much when they're depressed the proper amount of rest um and good personal hygiene sometimes just do one thing you know yeah. just clean your room and you know, I, I, not I, organize yeah or food. just just make your bed yeah as, uh, admiral right? mcraven yeah right. thanks thanks bill mcraven appreciate that just <laughs> yeah man <laughs> yeah, it's really that simple sometimes. You know, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about, uh, and I, I want to get back to your story, uh, mm. but uh, the, and, and I know your story because I heard you, you know, on another podcast, but uh, I definitely want to get it out for the listener too. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think for me, when the, you know, I got diagnosed with uh, PTSD, anxiety, and adjustment disorder with mixed mood and depression, right? And I was like, hey, doc, I, you know, I got all that, but I don't think I'm depressed. Like, I really just don't, I don't feel like I'm depressed. And she was like, don't mistake depression for sadness. Like the feelings that you feel uh, when sadness overcomes you, cause I'm like, like right now, you know, I'm fine, but I know that something might trigger me later. Uh, you know, yeah. that maybe gives me a panic attack or causes me to say something I don't mean or do something rash or, you know, like I was really afraid of like doctors in the Navy and I would get like white coat syndrome and I'd go get my blood pressure checked and they'd be like, dude, you need blood pressure medication. And I'd be like, no, nah, man, I got anxiety, dude. It's like, as soon as I walk I out of here. I want to be in this room with you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you take that white coat off, bro? We'll, we'll get down to business here. But anyway, um, I think that's something, you know, when you mentioned depression, I think for the listener and maybe, maybe it's helpful for you too. It's definitely helpful to remind myself, like don't sometimes, 
if, if you, for me, it, I always expect the worst case scenario. Like when the phone rings, I'm like, it's, it's something bad. It's bad news. Yeah. It's, you know, it's something, something negative, right? The doorbell rings. I'm like, Oh shoot. You know, like which yeah. neighbor did I piss off that they're contacting the homeowners association, which actually happened to me about my motorcycles. I, I, anyway, um, the, uh, you know, if, if uh, there's a difference in depression and sadness. And so that's just important to notice because, you know, sometimes it's normal to be sad. You know, if, if somebody passes Absolutely. away, you know, it's normal to be sad. If, if you know, if a relationship ends or, you know, you get fired, like it's okay to feel sad about that. But if it's a yeah. reoccurring theme of like constantly expecting the worst case scenario or, you know, identifying, you know, Brene Brown talks about, you know, we would say, I'm a horrible student. Well, you're not a horrible student. You just got a bad grade on the test, right? It's kind of like the notion of you're not, you're not what you, you are who you are, not what you do. Right. And sometimes it's just a one-off situation. So don't embody it or imperson it, you know, make it, make it personal. Right. Sure. Uh, yes, absolutely. Anyway, this uh, difference in depression and sadness. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the other thing too is anger is a perfectly valid human emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, when we go through the recovery process, we, we talk, a lot about that and, and we should people who deny anger um they're doing a, a lot of harm to themselves i'm not suggesting that you lash out in your anger i'm not suggesting you do something foolish but you are absolutely allowed to be angry yeah um now again if it's a daily occurrence if it's your life if every time you get behind the wheel of a car you're angry we have a another issue right, right um but you know sadness anger melancholy these are perfectly valid human emotions but understanding why you feel that way um and then endeavoring to maneuver through it and around it is also a part of the responsibility of your own recovery yeah um if we're going to talk about resilience and res well, resiliency one of the things that i i talk a lot about when i was a you know a platoon chief and you know as the command safety officer there are myriad resources but one of the resources that's not talked about enough is, and it's a metaphor that I use, sharpen your fucking knife. Mm -hmm. um, we have a job to do. Okay. We have to train for that job. We have to prepare for that job. Um, so whatever that is, whatever sharpening your knife is, if it's, if it's going to the gun range to make you better at your job, if it's you know, trimming a, a, a 30 seconds off your, your, your mile and a half runtime, sharpen your knife means getting better. It means applying the proper amount of pressure on the right issue to make yourself better and stronger. Um, I don't want to live without pressure. I don't want to live without anxiety. Anxiety is how my bills get paid, but there's a limit to my anxiety. Isn't and, there, uh, isn't there like an AA sitting? It's like, you know, get busy, got better kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a real thing. Um, I'm not, a um, an adherent to the AA principles. Um, but I, I absolutely, it helps you know, millions of people. Um, there are other, uh, there are tenements, tenants in the AA system that I think are invaluable. Um, and it's a great baseline to start, but, um, you know, whether it's Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance, you know, or, or it's pedaling your bike for a hundred miles or whatever it is, sharpen your knife. You have to build these tools. Self-esteem is not a birthright. I'm sorry. It's just not a thing. Um, you have to do things. 
you have to grow as a person. Um, and there's going to be bumps along that road. And that also means that, you know, you're going to fail and that's okay. But then you're going to achieve something. You're going to do a thing, whether it's rebuilding your car's engine or, or just tuning up your bicycle, making your own dinner for the first time. It's going to build self-esteem slowly but surely. Um, that's sharpening your knife. And when you do that, you realize that you are more resilient than you were before. And when you encounter a problem that previously would have made you shudder or retreat or throw your hands up in utter dismay and defeat, now you're saying, hey, you know what? I struggled with this once before, but I've learned the skills necessary to overcome this. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I've got resources at my disposal. I know how I'm going to approach this. And you go and you do the thing and then you feel better about it. There's going to be some frustration and frustration is perfectly normal. That's part of growing. That said, sharpen your damn knife, whatever it is, whatever you're into, do that thing more. If it makes you feel better and it's a good productive use of your time, do that. Yeah, Why wouldn't? There, there's some value in doing something hard on purpose, right? Because then it teaches you that you can, you can handle other scenarios, right? Like I know there have been times where I'm like, you know, well, this is going to be difficult, but not as difficult as that deployment, you know, where, you know, literally I was getting four hours of sleep every night chasing these drug runners in, you know, South America, like, you know, like pretty sure, you know, that I, if I can do that, I can do this too. Right. So doing hard things, uh, you know, definitely helps you with the mindset. And I don't want to say like cockiness, but probably some level of confidence that uh, you can apply towards other hard things, such as, you know, when you have a mental health stumble. Um, so the uh, 2011 timeframe is kind of where we yes. All mm -hmm. right. So let me, let me back the train up here. So, okay. uh, you know, you you go to the DRB, well, what turned into a DRB? Yeah. Uh, you know, the guy that I think that's, you know, love is such a powerful emotion. Everybody's heard me say that on here. You know, we, we shy away, you know, there are tons of emotions, but probably the most powerful one. Cause I, you know, nothing can make you do as much as love this in a good way or a bad way. Right. So for that sure. man to say that we love you, right. It probably, it is the most powerful thing you can say to someone in a time like that, you know, cause most people just want to feel loved, man. We want to feel belonging. They want to feel, you know, a sense of a, a, a purpose, but part of that purpose comes from being part of a tribe and part of a tribe is people that love you. Right. So it's kind of cyclical or circular in that, in that manner. So, sure. uh, so man tells you he loves you and where do we go from there? Um, so I blew so much snot and tears on the guys, you know, ribbons that I had, I felt compelled to replace them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they <yeah>. were ruined. <laughs> um, so from there, um, I spent uh, a month um, at Seven West, uh, which is the Bethesda Naval Hospital's mental health unit. Um, and then from there, I went to a month-long inpatient treatment program uh, at a civilian-run facility just on the outskirts of Portland, Oregon. Um, that was tough. How did, um, you get, how did you get that referral? Did you ask for that? I did not. Um, I'm not exactly even sure. I know that, you know, as I was talking to my therapist while I was there and going through the group sessions and um, things of that nature, it became, became clear that I needed some follow-on treatment and it needed to be an inpatient treatment facility. So I went out to, um, uh, to Oregon in that, you know, they told me what they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, my chain of command concurred and 
off I went. It really wasn't even in my control. I didn't find out I was going until I think maybe five or six days before I was all packed up. Um, Obligatory question here. Uh, you know, I, I get asked this a lot, especially when I first started a podcast, people were like, you have a podcast? Like, aren't you worried about, I'm like, why, why am I worried about that? Like I'm, I'm doing, this is a positive thing. Like what, why yeah. would I, why would I, why would I care? You know, like I would, I would love for, you know, the chief of Naval operations to listen to my podcast. You know what I mean? Like get on it, Mick Pond, like, listen to me, dude. Like I'm, I'm, I'm preaching the gospel over here, man. I'm helping people out. Like, why would I Absolutely. be afraid of it? But the, oblig the obligatory question is, you know, were you worried about your security clearance and, you know, in that whole process of getting the help you need? Because I hear that a lot. You know, I'm afraid to get, you know, disarmed where, you know, I can't carry a firearm in the nature of my job or, you know, I can't go into combat and I'm an OS, you know, now if I lose my secret clearance, then I'd be an undesignated seaman until I get kicked out of the Navy, you know. Right, right. Um, okay, so I love busting the rumor mills wide open. Yep. I love it. Um, yes, I am on medication. Yes, I have anxiety, depression, and PTSD. I'm still on active duty. I'm still a chief petty officer. I made chief after all of this took place. Right. So, <clears throat> and I lost my security clearance for a whole other reason. Uh, <laughs> all right. Look, you know, I got to ask that story. <laughs> Well, it turns out, turns out when you spend so much of your time drinking and depressed that you don't pay your bills, that affects your credit score and your credit oh, yeah. score is tied directly to your security clearance. You're not selling secrets to China, are you, though? <laughs> I'm a divorced chief bosun's mate. If I had secrets to sell to China, I don't, I don't even know where I'd find them, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like asking me where to find drugs. I have no idea where to find drugs. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, so I, I got promoted, first of all. I, I went from being a, a, an MC to a bosun's mate, which actually worked out much better in my favor. I'm happier as a person. I'm happier in the Navy. Congratulations. Um, and, and I got promoted. You know, I, I made chief. I was selected for, for the board, uh, and I did the thing, you know. Um, God bless you. <laughs> see, that was the other thing, too, you know talking about resilience, you know, remember when you graduated boot camp and that was the hardest thing you'd ever done? Oh yeah. You're crying. The Lee Greenwood, you know, like proud uh, right, be right, American. Right. Everybody's crying. Yeah. Right. And then final night. Yeah. They still, do they still do that? The Lee Greenwood song, proud to be an American. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. A buddy of mine who's pushing boots told me about that. He goes, I, I can't stand it, man. I'm just over it every time it happens. Oh, hey, dude, time. that was like epic. I did boot camp yeah. twice. So I did it twice, man. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I cried both times. So I went on Liberty Weekend uh, back when that used to be the deal. And uh, I got drunk and got in a fight and they frowned upon that. So I did boot camp a second time, <laughs> like all the way through, literally. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like back to P days, dude, like back in the Smurf suit, like back in the oh. yeah, all the way. Yeah. I went to captain's mass in boot camp. Yeah. And I basically I went to the CEO and he's like, why should I let you do boot camp again? I was like, I got nowhere else to go, man. Like literally, I was like, dude, this is it. This doesn't work. You're putting you hit, me in a homeless you hit with the officer and a gentleman. I got nowhere else to yeah. go. I was like, for real, I'll be in a homeless shelter if you kick me out of here. So anyway, not about uh, me. Know, but I, went, I, I got drunk and I got into a fight. It's, doesn't that make That's what sailors do? I didn't get a tattoo. Is that what the deal was? I forgot to get a tattoo. Yeah. The trifecta, man. The trifecta. <laughs> yeah. So um, I never saw any negative ramifications for anything that happened yeah. um 
the Navy mm-hmm. paid TRICARE covered the, 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 you know, the hospital stay for two months, two months. The facility out in Portland was something like uh, $3,000 a day. Yeah. And I was there for a month. They covered all of that, all the medications, um, the, the travel. Um, I never saw a, a count, so much as a negative counseling statement about going to therapy, going to treatment, none of that. Look at um, there. And then you came back and got in a fight way better, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And my chain of command supported me the entire step of the way. Um, now, I do understand that a lot of chains of commands do not do that. A lot of yeah. chains of command um, maybe aren't as supportive as mine. Um, that just seems to be a thing. Um, for whatever reason, people don't believe it. They have a hard time processing it, whatever. My chain of command was very understanding. Um, yeah. Didn't see any negative feedback on my evaluation. Yes, it went into my, my medical record, and it should have gone into my medical record. And the reason why so many junior sellers like, I don't want it in my record. I don't want it in my service record that I went to therapy. That's how I was. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, you want that shit in your medical record. Why? Disability, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thing. For like, sure. Yes. Get my medications paid for. Get my ongoing treatment plan paid for, you know? um ptsd is a very real thing let's get that taken care of man for you know it's extra money when you leave the service for however long you know you decide to stay in once you leave the service you may as well get paid for it yeah yeah you know i i think that two things one it's important just to notice right it's important to notice what's going on and you may not always have to do something right about it in the moment right but there were things that i just wasn't even noticing like I was uh, the guest speaker at uh, one of my mentees, uh, you know, a guy that I've, my, I'm a sea daddy, I guess you'd say. Uh, uh, you might know him, Stevie Mutri. Um, yes, I was there. Oh, shoot. Okay. How did I not know I, that? I was the one taking the photographs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, shoot. Okay, cool. So I pretty much had a panic attack before being the guest speaker, right? Because there was so much pressure on me at that time. And I was so nervous and I kind of felt like a failure because I reverted back to chief and all these people knew me as an LDO. And I, like, right. there was so much going on. Like, I remember going to the bathroom and like, I don't know if you noticed, but like my armpits were real sweaty. And I was like, dude, I, cause I had like a panic attack and I didn't yeah. even at the time I didn't notice. And it wasn't because I was afraid. Like I knew my words were solid. Like I wrote that speech and I knew like, I'm not trying to brag, but I'm good with words. So I knew my speech was solid. I have no idea, you know, but even at that time, you know, I knew something was wrong with me internally, but I didn't know what to do about it, or I didn't know what was causing it. Right. Uh, only, only later on, can I say, Oh man, like, that's why, you know, and I remember going to the bathroom, I'm like trying to wipe my armpits out. I'm like shaking. Cause it was so important to me, but I was like, so, and that's not like me, dude. Like I am super confident, you know, like happy to get in front of, I mean, I've spoken to like entire aircraft carriers, you know, but mm-hmm. my point with that story is that something uh, was going on and it's important to notice it, right? If, you know, I had full-blown panic attacks that I didn't even notice that they were actual panic. I'm not saying I didn't notice how I felt. I'm saying I didn't, right. I didn't have any way to categorize it, right? How to skillfully articulate what was going on with me, right? Um <clears throat> so that's thing one. Thing one is, you know, just notice it, identify it. Right. And then that brings me to another item on that same thread, which is the day I got diagnosed with PTSD, you know, like there was like some appointments before that. And then finally, you know, the doc was like, okay, look, man, like 
you're probably in the realm of PTSD, but you know, I'm going to make this referral, whatever. It wasn't just like a boom, like rip the sheets off. You have PTSD. Right. But, uh, when that diagnosis, I remember driving home, like, Holy shit. Like I have PTSD. And at first I was kind of embarrassed about it. And then I was like, well, this explains a lot. You know, this explains a lot. This is why I have to carry a firearm everywhere I go. Right. This is why I have to triple check the locks on my door. You know, this is why my, I, my wife gets frustrated with me because I can't watch a show because I have to get up and go check on something all the time. This is why when the ice box drops a, a cube of ice in the in the tray, I'm like, whoa, what, what was that? You know, like how many times a day does the ice drop in the tray? Like if I'm sitting know, in the living room, I know exactly what you're talking about or or. Hey, honey, do you mind if I sit over there and you sit over here? Yeah, don't put baby. Nobody, baby doesn't like being in the corner. No, no nobody no. puts baby in the corner. <laughs> I need to see the door. I, I need, need to, to see, see the door. door. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, but my point with all those examples and if, you know, the listeners have experienced something like that, the point is, you know, notice it. And then when you get a diagnosis like that, it, it gives you the tools to do something about it. Right. Or just maybe you don't do anything about it, but you know why now, you know, you understand exactly what's going on. Right. Cause and, and effect, right. You, yeah. you now, and now you can work yourself through that problem. And, you know? and I was the same Jeff Bayless that woke up that morning, put on that uniform, took, grabbed a shave, took myself, nothing changed. Right. Like right. I'm still the same dude at zero 900 that I was at 1100, same person. Right. So nothing changes. Now you just have a diagnosis that gives you a tool to do something with it. You are still the same person. You are not, you are That's not, right. you know, your diagnosis. Absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was important. Excuse me. That was important for me to, to process and probably worth sharing, you know, just because you have a diagnosis of PTSD or anxiety or whatever, that, that is not who you are. That is, you know, something that now you have Absolutely. tools to do something about instead of, you know, push, I had to, I, I, I set my kids down at the dinner table, man, and apologize to them. You know, I was like, I had a very adult conversation with them and they're young. You know, I was like, Hey man, like there were some times where I probably snapped at you when I didn't need to, because my anxiety is super high, you know? And, and I just found out I got yeah. PTSD and I'm getting the help I need. And I love you guys. You know, I love you. I'm sorry. That time I raised my voice unnecessarily. I'm sorry for that time. I snatched your arm up. I mean, I've never hit my kids or anything like that. Yeah. I've never even spanked my kids. Like, I don't think it's effective, but there have been times when, you know, probably because of my anxiety and my PTSD that, you know, I said things or did things that they did not deserve. Right. For sure. So, anyway. For sure. Well, you know, I didn't realize that I had anxiety until my therapist gave me a chart. Cause I was like, a friend of mine said, man, I think you've got anxiety. And it was like, what, what is, what are you talking about? So I talked to my therapist and my therapist says, you don't know that you have anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she looked at me with like this. You don't know that Santa Claus is fake. Like, I do. When I came home and told my wife I had PTSD, she was like, I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, what? What do you mean? She's like, yeah, dude. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Where have you been, buddy? Are you even paying attention to the shit you say? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so and I'm going through this checklist and it's like, you know, I, I, I like 17 of 20. Yep. And I was like, you know, and I held up the thing. I was like, you mean this isn't normal? And she goes, no, that's not, that's not a regular approach to, to those stressors. You have anxiety. 
you didn't ask for my advice and you don't need it, but everybody that's retiring from the military, since you mentioned disability, and I'm certainly not about lying to the VA or, you know, doing anything against integrity. But one thing I do tell just about everybody, if you were in a leadership capacity in the U.S. military at any time, deployed or not, you know, you have anxiety. I promise you there's not, nobody gets out of this thing without anxiety. Now, PTSD is a little bit different. Depression is a little bit di- different. Sure. I promise you, if you ran a division of 65 sailors on, on a ship on deployment and you're running deck evolutions, you've got anxiety, bro. I'm, I'm sorry. Or, or, or sis, you know, like it's, it, it's a thing, man. Like don't, don't be shy a, about it. I, I know so specifically in our, in our, you know, chosen profession, in our particular career field in that chosen profession, I know so many guys who are 30 and look 45, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, bad knees, bad back, chain smoking. I mean, just barely held together. And they're just this ball of nervous tension and energy. And you don't know what you're going to get, man, from one day to the next. So yeah, you're, you are a hundred percent right. If you are a leader of any kind on a, on a, on a larger scale like that, you absolutely phone rings at one o'clock in the morning, the worst case scenario immediately goes through my head. Yeah. Yeah. One of my sailors got killed, got a DUI, something happened that I'm going to, I'm going to have to, you know, I mean, this sounds, I don't, I don't mean it the way this is probably going to come off, but something that I'm going to have to deal with. Right. Yes. Uh, You know, of course you care about your sailors. That's not what I'm implying that it's a, it's a burden or a hassle, but it does have a, a, a ramification and an effect on your mental health, you know, or quite just being responsible for other people's lives, right? Just that alone. Um, I had a divo uh, that got hurt uh, actually in a, in a boat evolution and uh, hurt her back. I mean, just basically the, uh, <clears throat> she did, she couldn't get the, uh, the, the best hook off fast enough. And the C state was probably, I was pushing it. You know what I mean? And we were, the, the IOR ended though. I mean, the risk outweighed the, I mean, we were, we were operational. We had to, it wasn't just for training, right? Like we right. were, we were doing some real stuff. This uh, is the thing that had to happen. And had to happen. I didn't. I didn't have a choice, right? And had to put them right. in harm's way. And she got hurt. And that that still messes with me, you know. That like I, I'm upset that that happened to her. Uh, but just those knowing that that's in the realm of possibility, even if somebody doesn't get hurt or killed, just knowing that that's in the realm of everyday duties, it messes with you, man. It gives you anxiety. You know, I'm look at all these law enforcement officials that aren't getting the help they need, right? That's the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. You, you have to wear a bulletproof vest. Well, that, that's got a way on your mental health. You know what I mean? Unquestionably. Yeah. I, unquestionably. I, I mean, I get it. I mean, I don't want to bag on, on um, you know, the, the police forces, but the, the rate of domestic violence, you know, in a, in a cop with, or in a house with a cop in it is one of the highest in the country, yeah. you know, and they're, they're going through it as well. They need to, they need to talk to somebody and, you know, I'm glad now that we're getting past that machismo nonsense of you can't admit that you have a problem. Um, you know, I mean, you just openly said, you know, if you're, if you're a chief or above in the U S Navy, you've almost certainly got anxiety, yeah. you know, 10 years ago, we didn't talk about this. Suck it up. You know, 20 years ago, we didn't ever bring that shit up, you know? And we've all known that sleep deprivation is built into the training cycle, Right. We know that all these things that we do that contribute to anxiety and depression exist within our current framework, but we wouldn't have talked about it. 
We wouldn't right. ever address it. And now here we are. I mean, God, July will be 24 years for me. And when I first came in, regular professional development boards weren't a thing. Mental health checkups weren't a thing. We didn't talk about sexual harassment. We didn't talk about sexual assault. I mean, there was you know stuff you can and cannot do and do's and don'ts and, and that was it. And you just went about your day. But now we're actually having real conversations about the shit that we endure yeah. and we're getting better for it. And we yeah. see that in the numbers. Like I said, suicidal ideation mm -hmm. numbers are up, but those are ideations. Suicides are down. And that's I bet the ideations were there. They just weren't reported. The same with sexual harassment. Oh, it was sure. there, you know, just females or, or males can be sexually harassed too. I don't, I don't want to uh, be sexist here. It definitely goes both ways, but I would tend to guess that the sure. numbers are higher for females, but uh, you know, they, they just didn't feel comfortable reporting it. So of course the numbers are going to go up, you know, Absolutely. because then they should. Exactly. <laughs> like I don't look at, you know, sexual harassment reports, suicidal ideation reports as like, a bad thing. This is good. We're reporting it. We're going to do something about it and we're going to correct the behavior. Right. And, Absolutely. And As opposed to it being in the closet for 20 years and no one knows until it's time to retire and somebody makes this, you know, these allegations after they've walked, it's like, well, damn it. I can't, can't you know, I can't now, do anything yeah. now, you know, <clears throat> right. I mean, God, I've, I've been sexually assaulted more in a deck birthing than I have anywhere else. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, yeah you had your butt grabbed or, you know, I mean, when I first came in, getting nut tapped was a thing, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Or, or birthing wars, you know, oh, sometimes those went way past, you know, common wrestling, you know, mm -hmm. grab your nuts or yeah. absolutely yeah. a thing. So, yeah. um, yeah, I never experienced, um, any negative blowback from my time, um, at the mental health ward, uh, or in rehab. It just, it, I never saw it. And when I got back to active duty, um, my chain of command did not just throw me back to the wolves. You know, right. they, they eased me back into it. You know, I was an instructor at the time and, you know, I, I was used to teaching four or five classes a day and they were like, no, 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 one or two, you know, is at that point, you know, I still had, I had my therapist I had to go to. I had mandatory counseling sessions with my, my Navy mentor um and i had um another meeting that i had to go to so i had to rehash the worst moments of my life several times a week yeah. you know um on top of a steady diet um proper amount of rest medications you know follow-on treatment it's very you, very important you keep bringing up a healthy diet but i for a fact know that you eat burritos three times a day <laughs> I know for a fact you live in San Diego. You even put out social media. So you're, you're, I mean, dude, hey, Jason, this is good stuff, man, but I got to call you on this one, man. <laughs> then, then, it was, it was then. <laughs> Past it's right? Back, you know, back then. You really can, though, eat burritos three times a day here in Southern California. It's just, I don't recommend it, but it's a thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I sometimes miss the chat out there for sure. Yeah. Oh God, it's so good. Um, so, you know, <laughs> the other thing that I think is not talked about enough is that you do have to laugh. You got to find time to watch something funny, listen to something funny, because man, when, you know, you're going to, you know, three hours of therapy a week, right? Yeah. Plus another half hour mentoring counseling session right? 
plus meeting with your actual therapist or counselor or whatever, you're talking about five hours a week where you're opening up wounds that took years to heal. That right? you compartmentalize. Right. And you're like, man, I, I just, I don't want to talk about, you know, getting my, my ass kicked, you know, three times a week for, for, for years and years on end. I don't want to talk about that right now. I, I want, you know, an hour and a half of dick and fart jokes. You know, I just, <laughs> yeah. you know, put, put some Dave Chappelle on or some, you know, whatever. I just need something funny something to, to laugh up. at and, yeah. and, you know, make fun of. And so um, that's also a part of recovery, man. Like getting away from those things, not talking about those things um, yeah. and you know, doing things to actually relax. Yeah. You talk about humor as a, um, you know, as a coping mechanism. And I've, I've talked about this before. I think the, one of the, one of the things that helped me during this time is the, you know, I was, in a transition in a relationship and I didn't feel worthy of love from, uh, either of my, my first, second wife. And, you know, I would say that my parents love me, but I don't know that I felt loved, uh, you know, and so it was kind of an under underlying theme there that I, I never felt worthy of love. Right. And so one of the, one of the coping mechanisms was, you know, my wife, like actually showing me what love looks like, right. Like that was huge. Um, and another thing you talked about, you know, as a coping mechanism that I definitely, definitely did this. Like I was in the peak of my Ironman career while I was suicidal because, you know, there was, I was a super hard guy to piss off after a six hour bike ride, you know, or, you know, a 12 hour race. Right. And that, that's yeah. respectable time. I mean, there's some people at 17 hours, you know, um, <clears throat> I, I, I please don't think that, you know, I'm, I'm not exercising hubris here. I mean, I, I, I still say in shape, but you know, those were things that, you know, you talked about doing something hard, and then the, the third part of that, I think, I don't want to say that uh, we, you know, some of us can take it too far. And I think I did where I wore it as like a mask of masculinity. Sure. And I was, I was like, you know, I'm going to be stoic, you know, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to gunny highway this shit. You know what I mean? And I, there were a lot of things I did gunny highway, you know, I didn't operate a motor vehicle on base for two years and I didn't drive one out in town for a solid year. I just, I, I rode my bicycle and ran, you know, anywhere I needed to go. Seems on gas, man. And that's a great thing right now. <laughs> yeah. I, might, I might have to take that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, th this stoic uh, philosophy, if you actually understand what the Stoics were talking about, I think it can be mm -hmm. pretty helpful. Uh, it, you know, I took it too far. I took it into a realm of like, you know, suck it up, you know, type mentality, yeah. which I'm not, I'm not espousing that. I'm not saying that that is the way to go, uh, sure. but there is something to be said for the stoic philosophy. You know, there, there are things that you can control and those are the things worth being upset about the things that are outside of your control. Don't you can't, why, why cry about it? You know, I can't control if the command is going to kick me out of the military. I can't control if my, you know, my wife is going to divorce me. I can't control what the local government is going to punish me with. I've hired a lawyer. I'm going to show up in court. I'm going to put on a suit. I'm going to pay the bills. I'm going to do what I got to do but I can't control that outcome. Right. And that's, that's a lot of what Stoic philosophy is about too. I mean, there, there are several, you know, there are eight tenets of Stoic philosophy, but you know, one of those virtues at least is, you know, when we're talking about mental health, you know, there are things that are just outside of your control. And yes. so, you know, the things that you can control do something about those. Worry right. about Mar those. Marcus, Marcus Aurelius talks about this, speaking of the Stoics in, uh, in meditations. Absolutely. Can't, yeah. Can't recommend meditations enough, man. That's, I need to reread it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, 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 it's like a, uh, 
an R1 wife check for me. I have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. once a year, I got to, I got to pull it out, man. Every 12 months, it's a thing I got to do. Have you read, uh, just coincidentally, have you read Ryan Holiday's new um, Courage is Calling? No, no, I have not. So, you know, Ryan Holiday has the trilogy, The, the Obstacles Away, Ego's the Enemy, uh, Shoot on Brain Fart, and a third one. But anyway, he just came out with another one, uh, Courage is Calling. And talks about a lot about what really real courage looks like, right? We're not talking about, I mean, yes, there's men running into battle, but there's also, you know, presidents uh, back in before civil rights movement uh, inviting, you know, black per- people into the White House, right? That's courage, right? Everyday you know? courage. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I've talked with junior sailors about, you know, the everyday, you know, core values of the Navy. Um, we're not going to win the Navy cross anytime soon. That's not a thing that, you know, the ordinary sailor is going to do. Right. You know? But do you have the courage to call out some, some nonsense when you see it? Do you have the courage to stop buddy, stop somebody from saying something that's sexually inappropriate? Right. That's courage, you know? And like you said, you know, inviting, inviting black people to the white house at a time when you didn't do that. Exactly. You know, yeah. How many that, votes am I going to lose? Yeah. Right. You yeah. know. Um, that everyday honor, courage, and commitment, that's so underrated. Uh, just the commitment every day to put on the uniform, um, to come to work, good days, bad days, whatever. The courage to say, hey, I'm struggling with the thing. That's exactly where I was going with that. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with that. Like having the courage to say, hey, look, man, you're not alone. I was sexually abused too. No big deal. Hey, yeah. Let's- not that there's anything wrong with being gay. My brother's gay. Love that dude and his husband. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, but it doesn't make you gay. And if you're not gay, just because you were sexually abused, or even if it was a woman, that doesn't make it okay either. You know, like, exactly. yeah. So, hey, you're not alone, man. Have the courage to say, hey, you know what? Maybe I have a drinking problem. Hey, you know what? Yeah. I was sexually abused. Hey, you know what? Like, maybe nothing, but I got this little spidey sense that like, I'm about to flip out. So I need to go, you know, smoke a cigarette or whatever that thing is, right? Like sure. have, have the courage. I, I got to find my mentor. I got to talk with somebody right now because that's that everyday courage. And there's honor in that. There's I an agree. inherent mobility in that. To there's understand your limitations. Yeah. Yeah. Understanding your limitations as a human being. You know, when this is all said and done, all those ships that, that are out at sea right now will be turned into razor blades and coffee cans and, I don't know what the 22nd century sailor is going to look like. You know, I don't know what uniform they're going to wear, but there will be sailors and there will be the ocean. That also means that it, we have to focus on the people. Yeah. You know, I know that from a public relations standpoint, you know, aircraft carriers and the blue angels are the jam and it's great. And I'm sure top gun two is going to be a cool recruiting tool. And <laughs> that's wonderful, but it takes a human being you know, to pilot these ships, it takes a human being to stand the watches. And those human beings are fragile, they are breakable, and they are all enduring a human experience that comes with all sorts of things. Yeah. You know, it, it comes with getting a terrible email from your spouse while you're on deployment, you can't do anything about it. It comes yeah. from, you know, waiting for your, you know, your, your, your pregnant wife who might be going into labor any minute, you're waiting for that email to come through and you're just stressed out. You're waiting for these things. And um, there's, there's so much human condition that gets wrapped up in this uniform that when we focus on the material stuff, when we focus on the ships and the aircraft, and that's all great, but it's human beings, man. It's human beings. Until everything goes AI, but you know, that could be your, no. 
actually dude uh off topic and that i probably shouldn't go in this direction because that was such a profound thing you said i probably should just drop the mic right there but actually uh i attended a uh seminar or symposium where they were gathering input for you know how to take your warfare area and make it a little more ai i was like well beach surveys would be cool you know like if i could just have a robot do that that'd be pretty neat um but anyway yeah totally off topic but it's i'm just saying it's there not to disagree with you i 100 disagree with you and i you know i should just left it at that right it's like after the commanding officer talks the senior man in the room talks and there's always that one guy that's like oh by the way it's like no dude the admiral already talked the admiral talked you're done you're done seaman recruit stop (laughs) stop it like do you not read the room man read the room the two-star just said something real profound and then you asked about birthing cleaners like what are you talking about dude like (laughs) somebody get that guy whose guy is that (laughs) but you ruined everything everything cool he just said you ruined it yeah i'm just saying ai is not outside the realm of possibility to to you know i support our our robot overlords um yeah yeah so does rogan yes that guy we're like 10 days away (laughs) we got some time Oh, I just brought up Rogan. I wonder if Spotify is going to put a, like a COVID disclaimer on this thing. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have a problem with Rogan. I, there are sometimes I really enjoy his interview style. There are sometimes when I, I'm like, eh, whatever, I'll pass on this one. But um, here's a thought. How about we don't get our medical advice from a comedian slash podcaster? Yeah. Well, except for us, because, you know, what we're saying here is good. <laughs> <laughs> obviously obviously obviously, with the exception of us because we're giving great mental health advice here but it's you know okay disclaimer we're only two guys that have that experience it's not that we are certainly not mental health professionals we just have had a lot of a lot of time in the therapy chair licensed therapist i will listen to you yeah yeah yeah, Um, yeah. oh so that's the other thing too that is that is hugely important for leaders um as they're trying to suss out you know, who's got problems in their divisions, platoons, departments, whatever you want to call it. Um, shut up and listen for a while. Yeah. Just ear hustle. You know, don't talk. Just walk around spaces and listen to what's going on. Yeah. Because the things that will affect, you know, the things that affect my life, the things that stress me out are not things that a 21-year-old sailor is thinking about. Exactly. You know, uh, they've got other issues. And it just so happens that at my command, you know, a lot of those sailors sleep a hundred yards from where they work. So if something starts in the barracks, it finishes over at work. And if it starts at work, it finishes in the barracks. And we're talking about everything from romantic relationships to fights to alcoholic behavior. It's, re- it's incumbent upon a good leader to actually just listen to what's going on around them. Yeah. Take the pulse listen solicit advice and then make a choice well i I would say ask questions too right like absolutely so important you know i i find this a lot where and i'm guilty of it too just maybe not as bad as others but the you're waiting for your turn to tell the story about yourself right or you're waiting to you're just waiting for that other person to finish so you can well how about you just ask another question you know like how does that make you feel? How does that manifest in the body? Are you okay with that? How does your wife feel about that? What are your plans? How are, you know, what are your coping mechanisms? How are you going to react to that? What, what methods do you have to do something about that? Okay. Right. I understand. Sounds like you have a plan. And when you ask good questions, 
rather than give direction, especially when you don't have all the information, that person now has ownership. <clears throat> they own that decision because they came up with it. You didn't tell them. I don't ever tell people what to do. I'm not in the military anymore. I don't give orders. And I'm technically not a supervisor, even though I'm a GS-12. So I just ask people really good questions. And then, you know, like even at work, you know, like, hey, what's up with this, uh, this job? Okay, were well, you going to go look at that? Okay, well, what's wrong with that? Well, how are you planning to fix it? Well, who's going to fix it? How much does it cost? Where's what that money recommend? coming from? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, let me just ask a bunch of people. They're like, oh, shit, like Jeff's on a roll here, right? Like, okay, great. Instead of me saying like, get up, do that. I mean, there are times definitely in the nature of the work that you do where you have to give direction, you know, especially if it's safety, you don't have time to be like, Hey, if, if it's uh, if it's not too much trouble, this tank is coming off this, uh, this, this barge right now. And if you don't move, you're going to get squished. Uh, you, you know, would you mind just moving it real quick? I mean, he's coming off kind of fast. Like you don't have time for that. It's like, Hey asshole, move. <laughs> right. You don't have time. This is what has to happen right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, well, I mean, and you're onto something, just asking those questions and then, you know, well, what do you recommend? Yeah. And then now, like you said, now they're bought in, now they're emotionally invested and they're like, oh, well, here's what I recommend. Very well. Let's make that happen. You know, another you know? thing, another thing you said at the beginning of the show to make it kind of come full circle. And I agree. Uh, I didn't even write it down. It just came up right now. But then, you know, the, the last thing I would say, you know, once we've we've identified the mental health uh, concern or, you know, thing that's going on with us, right. We've, we've gotten the help uh, to do something about it. And then, you know, you know, maybe you're not fully healed, you, you know, but you probably should be through like most of the processing and then pay it forward, bring someone with you, you know, um, sharing my story vulnerably in front of people and crying in front of an entire aircraft carrier. It kind of hurts at the moment, but it's actually very cathartic. It actually is very really? helpful for me to get up there and say, hey, you know, kind of like the Me Too movement, you know, like Me Too. Like, yeah. I, I am not impervious to to punishment, right? Like people think leadership doesn't get punished. Look, man, I was I was a deck LDO on my way to making, uh, I don't want to say like I was going to be the next, you know, 06 Silver Eagle or anything, but I was going to be very successful in the deck community. I promise you that. And, you know, I did get punished. Right. And so, you know, letting paying it forward or, or helping someone, I'm not saying you need to do what I did and, you know, go around the, the world and like, you know, fly into places to tell your story. But what I would say is it probably is helpful if you see something in someone else that you love or that you care about, maybe just not ignoring it. Right. Like just <clears throat> sharing, sharing that, Hey man, like you're not alone. Uh, that, that, that has happened to me too. And I, you know, here's what worked for me. Uh, you know, here's some resources, you know, give me a call anytime, 24 seven, here's my cell, like, you know, pay it forward just even in a small way. I remember, uh, I was on the quarter deck cause on a uh, carriers, this is kind of funny, man. Like I left, uh, being bosun on an LSD where I'm like, I'm the man. Right. And then, you know, and I was the maintenance officer and like all those collateral duties and everything. And then I get to the aircraft carrier and I'm like, all right, cool. Like, when do I check in with the captain? They're like, yeah, yeah, cool started, buddy. And I'm like, well, what do I need? They're like, go get into your dress blues. We need you to stand some quarter deck watch. All right. Uh, you know, OD import, buddy. I'm like, no, no, no. You don't understand. I'm not, I'm not a regular, I'm not a regular officer. I'm, I'm, I'm not a junior, regular junior officer. I'm, I'm actually an LDO. Like I was a chief, you know what I mean? They're like, yeah. Like, like, yeah. You see the, the ribbons? Yeah. I don't have just a, yeah. yeah. You see that good service? Yeah. You, you see there's four rows here, right? They're like, yeah, cool story. Um, remember what I said about the dress blues? I'm going to go ahead and need you to 
<laughs> but anyway, I'm, I'm standing quarter deck watching and a guy came up on his way out. And this is right after, you know, my incident happened and he just put a Jolly Rancher on the quarter deck and he was just like, hang in there, man. And just little things like that. I was like, dude, that mean I'm getting goosebumps right now. Like just that right there. I mean, I don't even like Jolly Ranchers, bro, but it was like, that was, that was cool, man. I was like this dude, like, thank you, man. Thank you for not, you know, ignoring it or taking a giant shit on me. And that's what, yeah. those were the two options. I either got, you know, browbeat and chastised or they, they just didn't want to touch me. Like you mentioned STDs, you know, it's like, I, you know, I had cancer or leprosy or something, yeah. you know, like people just didn't even want to address it, you know, to see how I was doing. In fact, you know, I still got tasked with all my regular duties, you know, like driving the aircraft carrier in the middle of the Persian Gulf while I'm contemplating suicide. Probably not a good idea, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, in retrospect, maybe we could have put somebody else on launch. <laughs> you would think. Yeah. Mistakes were made. Yeah. yeah. I, I cannot express how significant it is when uh, every time I share my story at my command or previous commands, invariably somebody comes up to me, shares with me, 100%. you know, their, their thing. It inspires people to go get help. And I was talking with... Um, our independent duty corpsman. And he said, chief, every time you share your story, I get five to seven people in my office. Good. And I'm like, and doc said the exact same thing. He's like, it's a good thing. I welcome this. Like, yep. and then, and the cat's like, yo, if chief can do that, if he can stand up there and say that I can go get a mental health examination. That's a thing that I can do, you know? And I'm like, there we go. You know, and, it and just took won't... me, you know, thinking about you know jumping off about to jump off the duke ellington bridge to get to this point um and you know that's the thing too and i, I definitely want to stress this recovery is not an end goal right it's an ongoing process man like i am never gonna be a hundred percent totally good i'm fine i'm gonna have issues i'm gonna struggle with things but it's an ongoing process recovery yeah. is the voyage it, it, it recovery the process is the destination man well, I'm yeah. never going to spike the ball and be done with PTSD or depression or anxiety. Um, but I enjoy life now. Right. And I have the resources at my disposal when it's time to, to go get in a fight with those demons. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and, you know, I was talking to my daughter about medication and, and things like that. Yeah. I know that I'm probably going to be on medication for the rest of my life, but that's the key part for the rest of my life. Cause I have the rest of my life. You have a life to live. Yeah. <clears throat> I will take, you know, I, I, I find a lot of, find a lot of calm in the reflexive nature of the world. And what I mean by that is there's no great mystery to what the meaning of life is. The meaning of life is to give life meaning. Yeah. Yeah. If, if that means having a family for you, if that means uh, owning your own business or achieving a certain number of, you know, academic degrees or, or traveling the world, whatever that thing is for you, own that. Do yeah. that thing. Give your life meaning in some capacity. Make it special because it's what you've got. Give your life meaning. Once you do that, now you're on to something. And that's really where you, the, the fun starts. You know, because if you've already been at the bottom, you know, you know, you there's the bottom of the barrel, 50 layers of shit. And then you, <laughs> you 
Yeah. You already know what low looks like. So yeah, right. Let's see how high you can climb. Yeah, no, that's that's probably a great segue to you know this this final question that uh, you know I I ask everybody this question. I don't you know for the listener that doesn't know like it's not it's not normal for me to send over like. I'll have a conversation before an episode, but I, I typically try to keep it as fresh as possible. Like no notes, no, no read aheads, no anything. So, you know, I'm kind of, kind of throwing this in your lap here, but it's, I think it's a really good question. <clears throat> you know, when, when I was going, well, let me back up before, you know, I hit the rock bottom you're talking about, you know, I think that what part of what had happened to me, at least in my career uh, in, in other endeavors where I was trying to be, you know, a badass, right. The, uh, I focused so much on my reputation and legacy, you know, fueled by ego, quite frankly, you know, my, my hubris was out of control. My ego, I don't mean the super ego. I mean, the ego, like cockiness. Right. And it was so out of control that, you know, so worried about the, my reputation and legacy and whatever, you know, what everybody thought about me, you know, the, the validation that that got me, uh, you know, for doing just things that got me accolades. Right. And so what happened with that is I kind of lost sight of my character, right. Kind of lost sight of my value system, kind of lost sight of my virtues. And had I just focused on my rep or my, uh, my character value, which are shored up by your values and your virtues, right. If I had just focused on being a good dude, my reputation and legacy would have taken care of itself wouldn't have had to try so hard to worry about my reputation and legacy. Cause if I just focused on being a good human, the best possible human, then I think your reputation and legacy, it happens autonomously, right? It happens automatically without any direct effort on your part. So the question is very long-winded, sorry, but the, uh, how would you define your character and how would you hope others define your character when they're talking about you behind your back? And, you know, what do you, what do you do to ensure that that is true, that it's, that it's a true definition of your character? Like, what are those actions? I once knew a guy who's no longer with us. And he was the kind of person who would give other people gifts on his birthday. Oh, that's cool. And I always aspired to that. And I just wanted people to say that about me one day. And I shared that sentiment with a, with a good friend of mine. And he said, I don't know if you realize this, bro, but you're there. Like you give people gifts just because it's a Tuesday. And it occurred to me that he was right. Like I do, I, I, I give my friends random gifts. I just find things that I think they would like and I give them to them. And I've become what I aspired to be in that sense, but it's not about the gift and it's not about the friends. It's about being selfless. It's about doing something for somebody else's enjoyment just because it makes them feel good. And I would hope that in some capacity, I make the people around me lives, I make their lives better in some capacity. Um, if I make someone's life worse, I don't know, that would crush me. That would be, that would be a lot to handle. Um, I want the people around me to be better for having known me. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I have a, a similar 
life purpose, which is to be a net positive. Cause you're, you're, you're going to, you know, at some point in your life, you're going to make a mistake <clears throat> that's going to cause someone some harm, right. Some, some pain, uh, sure. you know, if you're doing any kind of living at all, yeah, you're, you're going to get hurt eventually. You're going to break an egg or two here, but yeah. you know, the, the goal is, you know, to be a net positive. Uh, and, and I would say, you know, that I'm reading uh, Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown right now. And I'm going to mess up the two philosophies, but it's like Freud and Schneider and Freud and Freuder or something like that. And the, I, I'm totally messing that up. So Google it, something to do with Freud. But the first one that I mentioned is like where you're jealous of someone and you want to cause them. Uh, it, you're not, I guess not jealousy, maybe it's more like envious, but, mm. but you, you don't, you don't want them to have that good thing. Right. You yeah, want to, you want to take that thing away from them or knock them down a peg. And then the second one is that person has that good thing. And I'm so glad they have it. I'm so selfless. I'm so happy that that person has that thing that they're better at than me, that they're more attractive than me, that they have more money than me, whatever those things are more emotionally intelligent than me, whatever that thing is, you're, you're not trying to knock them down a peg or, you know, and, and same way you're not being self-deprecating, but you genuinely in your heart, want that for that person. And whatever that second definition is, or, you know, that sef- that second philosophy is, that's what you're talking about. That's, that's what sure. your, your character is. So homework for me, I'll look it up and text it to you, but I would also encourage you to read Atlas. Of the I look forward to it, man. <laughs> yeah, Atlas of the I will. Pretty I'll good. check it out. Yeah, anything Brene Brown is good. I mean, I sound like a broken record on that too. So. I'm actually reading something called Atlas of the Invisible. Um, maps and graphics that will change how you see the world. Oh, cool. So um, let me see here. We're talking about, uh, let's see. I mean, it's it, number one, it's beautifully designed, but we're talking about like where we've been. Um, so like where refugees come from and where they go throughout history. Oh, yeah. Um, which is impressive. Eyewitness cartography, people who have designed and built things um, and maps that have altered um, history, um, like the first maps that were drawn of Dachau and Auschwitz, for example. Oh, wow. Um, the migratory paths of, uh, of, of indigenous cultures. Um, a whole map of the um, uh, human slave trade. Oh, wow. And where they came from and where they went. Um, huh, uh, names, a, a, a com- comprehensive map of, of names that we see most prominently throughout the world. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and it breaks it down. Uh, who we are. Oh, this is, this is awesome right here. Um, yeah, just... Atlas of the Invisible, what we see and how it changes the world in which we live. And I guess that's where I'm at right now. That's where my head, I don't, I don't read a lot of fiction anymore. And I don't read a lot of, um, read. for lack have- of a better word, self-help. Um, I'm really fascinated with the world around us right now. Um, there's a great podcast called 99% Invisible. Huh. Um, I am a, I'm a city kid. I grew up in Detroit. I love being in the city. Um, don't get me wrong. I like to vacation in the country, but I'd, I'd like the closeness and the proximity of things. Right. Right. Sure. Um, 
But listening to 99% Invisible showed me that in the framework of an American city, any city really, there's so much little stuff that takes place that exists that we don't see, that we overlook. We have no idea what it means or what it does or the purpose of these things, but they're all there for a reason. Um, Everything from like the little stamps that you see in concrete, right? On like who made that, like that's a thing. Everybody that pours concrete has to stamp it and you can chart who did it over time. And if it was the city, there's a number on that stamp and you can go to the city hall of records and see who laid that concrete. Interesting. Um, There are, you know, like uh, when you see like directions spray painted on the road, you know, for like, you know, construction workers, all of that means something. All of that is a code to help these guys, you know, do their thing. Um, how we put fire escapes on the outside of buildings and not on the insides of them. Like, you know, just weird things like that. But it, it's, it literally vibes all around us every single day. We just aren't paying attention to it because we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to focus on these things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the way buildings are designed. Um, like uh, what's a great example. Um, what's a good burger joint on the East coast. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, there isn't like a Whataburger and In-N-Out necessarily out here. There's Dumars, which is like a Norfolk thing. There you go. Okay. All right. Well, that works though. Whataburger and and In-N-Out works. Those places have really hard plastic furniture and a lot of fast colors, lots of reds, lots of yellows. Yeah, sure. The idea is to get in, eat your stuff and go as quickly as possible. No one likes sitting on a plastic seat. That shit hurts. Right. Yeah. Whereas like a local coffee store, like a local coffee shop, lots of big overstuffed couches, lots of good, warm lighting. They want you to stay a while because they need the repeat business. It's stuff like that that we see and are a part of every day that we often don't realize. And that's what I'm kind of fascinated about right now. That's where my head's at. Well, to make it back to the, you know, kind of the mental health and resilience thing. I mean, we see these things all around us all the time with people too, right? And we're just not perceptive enough, or, you know, maybe we just don't take the action to try to understand. So that invisible fight, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shoot, man. uh, How do you feel? You feel pretty good? I feel great, bro. Thank you, man. No, this was really cool. Um, Any, any final rounds, you know, last, last shots or, you know, if somebody wanted to reach out to you or anything like that. Oh, Hey, yeah, absolutely. If you want to reach out to me, man, I'm on social media. I'm sure Jeff will tag me on this. Yep. Um, I'll talk about any, you know, anything with anybody at any time, man, if you're hurting, um, you don't have to fight alone. I promise you that. Um, We get stuck in our heads, man, but look, Guys like me and Jeff, we've been in the fight and we know the ways out. We know the ways out of those deep, dark holes. So if you need help, man, give us a shot and don't be afraid. Yeah, We're in your corner. I love what you're doing, brother. I, I appreciate you. And uh, like that guy said, man, I love you too, man. This is uh, this is really helpful, you know, and, and uh, you know, I know this is, even if only one person, it helps. Uh, it was it was worth the hour and change that we spent on it. So I appreciate no you, man. All right. You too, brother. All right, out. guys there you go what a great show uh what a remarkable not only uh journey story but uh just 
way to put it into words, you know, uh, gosh, you know, Jason's very articulate, very smart. Uh, and also, as I said in the intro, you know, just super courageous for sharing his story. Uh, and again, uh, you know, he is not alone and neither are you. So if you are, I'll, I'll link, uh, ways to get in touch with him in the show notes and, and also me, you know, Jeff Bayless underscore on Instagram. Uh, and, and if, uh, you know, if you don't have anybody that you can trust, please reach out to one of us. Uh, certainly non, no, no judgment on our end. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously we are not mental health professionals, but, uh, all we can say, or all I can say is I've been there, man. And, uh, I know what it, I know what it feels like to lose hope. And, uh, I know what it feels like, uh, to be in the dark place. So you are loved. You're worthy of love. You are a, uh, you know, you are a promise of hope and, uh, that, that alone is enough to keep going. So, uh, appreciate all you guys for tuning in. Appreciate the feedback each week. It really does help, uh, motivate me to reach out to folks or to, you know, research some philosophies and put all this stuff together. Uh, it's really a labor of love. And, uh, I learned something in the process with each show as well. So let me not, <clears throat> you know, simply, uh, say that it's all about you, but it is all about you. Uh, it, this, uh, this project has really, uh, come a long way uh, from the backyard with some headphones. So appreciate you guys. Appreciate all the all the encouraging feedback. And again, if you get anything out of the show, just maybe send it over to somebody that needs to hear it. You know, somebody that maybe can benefit from hearing somebody else's story, a similar story. Uh, you know, of of resilience. You know, of bouncing back of that invisible fight. All right, guys, we will chat next week on the Evolution Podcast.